Welcome along to NHL fans from afar. So we have left the season behind us. We have now seen the draft and make of that what you will. The epic draft that went on for about 20 something hours. And then we've moved swiftly on to free agency. And it was always going to be an interesting one this year because of the pandemic and because so many teams are cash strapped and having to make moves that they perhaps wouldn't have done in previous years and of course the flat cap as well really hitting some teams hard who may have predicted that they were going to spend a few extra million dollars now claire is taking a much needed summer i guess it's hockey summer isn't it but not our summer um break for the next few weeks so i thought i'd invite james reeve along now james i'm going to let you introduce yourself because all I'll say is following you on Twitter, you get an eclectic mix of sports that you follow. You're One minute I'm reading, you're doing MK Don's reports and the next minute you're commenting on the Leafs. So I'll let you introduce yourself and the places that you write your words. Yeah, so uh, I do a lot of uh, a lot of sports writing. Uh, since we're on a hockey podcast, I'll uh, explain about that. I uh, cover Toronto Maple Leafs for Editor in Leaf. Uh, fan-sided website and I also write about uh, the Arizona Coyotes on SB Nation's Five for Howling. Those are the two teams that I kind of follow the mo- the, the closest. Um, I was on the podcast uh, during the summer months just before the uh, the playoffs and I was talking a bit more Coyotes uh, when everything was a bit more rosy, let's say. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah a, lot has, a lot has changed in uh, the Coyotes world and we'll probably talk about them in the sense of well taylor hall was obviously a big storyline and i thought that maybe uh, is a good place to start because obviously the the big talk going into any hockey summer and i'm going to keep referring to it as a summer because i can't call it the autumn because then i get confused so the storylines going into the hockey summer um, are always the big ufas and what they're going to do and as i mentioned earlier on there were a lot of differences this year as to how that was going to pan out the big name was alex petrangelo and for a long time anyway, from what I could see, it looked like he was going to stay put in St. Louis, a little bit like Tavares um, a couple of years back with the Islanders. All the talk going into um, towards free agency was that he would probably stay. And it was only really in the last couple of weeks that the negotiations didn't seem to be going too well. And there was all this talk about signing bonuses being a contentious issue for the St. Louis Blues. And you know, to for anybody who doesn't follow the Blues, um, Petrangelo was the captain. He's been there for donkey's years. He's a he's obviously the guy who brought the Stanley Cup to St. Louis, got to lift the Stanley Cup, and a very uh, kind of an epic defenseman and a right-handed defenseman, and probably I don't know, looking at the market, right-handed defensemen are one of the hardest to get. And you know, as a top UFA of that class, there is going to be a lot of suitors, and I think. I'll get kind of get your thoughts on on you know Vegas, which is where he ended up, James. But one of the things that struck me about the whole Alex Petrangelo unrestricted free agency was how long it took him to actually end up signing in Vegas, because it was a good few days after free agency started. So free agency kicked off on the ninth, and he signed his deal on uh, on the twelfth. So it was like three days it took, and he was really probably arguably of the whole the biggest name that was out there and I mean I think deals this time around were going to take a little bit longer um, because as you mentioned earlier the, the the economic climate that the world's currently like going through 
um, especially with the NHL. They're experiencing a flat cap for at least the next two seasons, which a lot of teams really, I mean, before everything got shut down and changed, they were banking on like probably a solid five, six million dollar increase to the cap for the next season uh, because things were looking really good uh, back in like January, February time. Then everything happened. Teams are now limited to 81 and a half million again this season and next, um, at least. Could even last longer, depending on how things go, depending on how long it takes fans to get back. Um, so deals were going to take a little bit longer because part of the CBA, uh, they got rid of the negotiation window. So teams, unless... So players heading to free agency had to get the permission of their own teams to be able to speak to others before free agency started. And some some teams allowed some free agents to do so. Uh, Arizona actually did with Taylor Hall. They kind of said, right, we're moving on from Taylor Hall, so you can speak to whoever you want. But if the team didn't give permission, there wasn't that window where teams could talk. Like, as you mentioned with like John Tavares, when he became a free agent, the Leafs kind of had a few days to speak to him, kind of dip their toe in the water, see what things were like, and then they signed him first day of free agency. Wayne this Simmons time, was another one this time round, wasn't he? I remember Buffalo yeah, said yeah. to him, he was, he, you know, we're obviously not going to re-sign you, Wayne, so, you know, you go and chat to, to whoever you want to chat to before that free agency starts. Yeah, exactly. So Simmons is a great example of that. He was given permission by the team he was on. Um, had Buffalo not done that, maybe it would have taken the Leafs longer to get him locked up. But he obviously had time to talk to the Leafs, get an idea of what was where it was sitting, and he signed uh, day one. Um, Peter Angelo, I think early on, yeah, it was clear he wanted to stay in St. Louis. Um, but I think St. Louis really shot themselves in the foot when they gave Justin Falk the deal that they did, really tied them cap-wise. Um, and some of the rumours that have come out about them not budging over a certain number, I think, kind of irked Petrangelo. I mean, he was the captain, had been there his entire career. He lifted the Stanley Cup for the franchise. And I think when they kind of showed their hand with that regard, he kind of said, oh, I want to look elsewhere. And after that, there really were only two teams that seemed to be in the, in the running and that was Vegas and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The I, Leafs. I was going to say, I, on that, I mean, uh, you know, we're, for, well, I'm a Leafs fan. I think you, you admit to being a Leafs fan, don't you, James, as well? But yeah. um, I, I just never saw that fit. And what's interesting with the Leafs, and I guess also you can kind of tie in the St. Louis Blues as well to this, is that... You know, Petro took his time to decide and, you know, didn't sign in those first few days. The St. Louis Blues then went out and signed Tory Krug, former, yeah. you know, Boston Bruin, and basically gave gave him the money that they would have used for Petrangelo. And, you know, there was not, I know they, they said they could sign them both, but it certainly looked like as soon as Tory Krug signed with the St. Louis Blues, that was Petrangelo's time there done. Similar with TJ Brody in Toronto, as soon as, you know, the Leafs signed a four point whatever million defenseman um, to their blue line, there's no, there's no way then that Petrangelo fits in without a, a serious kind of roster um, mashup. And so, 
the thing for me with Petro is that he seemed to kind of almost run out of options in the end. And Vegas, while still had to do a lot of work to make that contract fit, and it sounded like it was a, a lengthy contract negotiation, even for, for Vegas with uh, with Alex Petrangelo. But, but it, he seemed to run out of teams by delaying. Yeah, and I mean, from the point of like St. Louis, obviously they were the only team that could have offered Petro eight years in a deal. So as soon as free agency opened, I believe there was no hope that St. Louis were going to re-sign him. I think that was done deal. He was gone. Um, And I mean, there were teams that could have signed him, but he wants to go to a team that's going to contend. Um, I mean, you look at teams that have a ton of cap space. You got like Ottawa who added a bunch of interesting players, which we'll get onto later. Uh, Buffalo, as you said, with Hall, we'll talk about him as well. Teams have cap, like teams could have added him, but he wanted to be in a place that is going to compete. And Vegas is probably one of the best teams to go to for him to do that. There, I mean, in his interview after he signed, he said that players around the league, so I mean, this seems like it's a general consensus, is Vegas is in his mind at least, the best place to go and play. It seems like the most fun, the most enjoyable environment, things like that. Um, I think he was fine with spending a bit more time to get the right deal for him. And it also allowed Vegas the time to work out the Nate deal to kind of offload enough cap to you call Free it up. a deal, James. No, I mean, I it was barely a deal, was it? I mean, it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit like me walking into my local Sainsbury's with a gun and saying, I'm going to take this milk, okay? I'm going to take it. And them saying, yes, here you go, you have it. I mean, it was it was daylight robbery by Vancouver. I just, it, it amazes me how, I mean, they just won the lottery with that, didn't they? I mean, Nate Schmidt for a third is one of those trades that we joke about saying, you know, uh, uh, like, Connor McDavid and a second for like it's one of those things yeah. you never you never even dream of happening and it's not even a third next year it's a third in 2022 Is it? it's not even a third. yeah so it's literally the mystery box in two years time literally right? nothing they got nature for nothing yeah but I that's mean... what you know that's what that that's one of the things that's interesting about Vegas and I think it's partly that the thing you you touched on about finding a team that's going to compete over the next couple of years actually is quite difficult because you are only really looking at the teams who have more money than sense because you know everybody's finances have been hit and you're going to have you're going to have teams who like Pittsburgh and teams who historically you would have not thought twice about going to Chicago another one because they've kind of got winning in their DNA at the moment but actually they don't know whether they're going to be full cap teams this year because finances are so tight whereas Actually, and if you look at his list, the Leafs and Vegas are two of the teams that arguably have got enough money and more money to spend than you know they're going to need for the cap. And finding a team that's going to win over the next few years is probably harder than it would have been without all of this stuff going on. Vegas, um, since entering the league, have just been excellent. I mean, Stanley Cup final their first season. They, ran, they had a deep run their second year. This year, obviously, with everything, it was a bit odd. Still, playoff team competed well. Like, I mean, a lot of early predictions have them getting further next year. I mean, some of the players just on their roster is nuts. I mean, they've got Lena and Flurry now locked up as their tandem. 
um, which <laughs> I mean, like there's it's very hard to find another team as strong or as deep as Vegas at the moment. And adding Petrolangelo just kind of like was the the cherry on top for them. I'd say I do. I find Vegas a. I mean, Vegas were a brilliant story when they came into the league, and um, you almost couldn't help but root for them in a way, which was odd for an expansion team. However, I don't know about you, but they've they've lost that kind of uh, kind of neutral rooting for them thing. Now they're very quickly kind of rooting themselves as the kind of Manchester United of uh, of uh, of the National Hockey League, certainly in the American side of the the border. Um, and I, it was interesting reading some articles about how some of the players are a little bit kind of um, pissed off with this whole kind of constant change of the roster and how seemingly if there's ever a UFA player available to them, then Vegas is in on it and Vegas will make it happen and Vegas will offer the most money. And of course, that you know has an effect on other players and it means that players who you know, Flurry being one of them was kind of brought in as the number one starter. You'd be the franchise player. I remember, you know, when I was fortunate enough to go and watch them in Vegas. They, you know, everything was about Mark andre Flurry. He was their number one player. And, you know, then to think in that short period of time, he's now become arguably their backup. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a tall order to keep that camaraderie going and that team spirit going when, you know, there's so much churn in a franchise like that. And to add on to that, um, particularly where Fleury's concerned, obviously there was that whole ordeal with his um, with his agent and the picture of the sword in his back and all of that stuff, which has become a great meme. Of really, yeah. it's, it's great to see. Um, but there was also the rumblings that, obviously, as Vegas were trying to clear cap to try and get Petrangelo, they were offering Fleury with 50% of his salary retained and a second round pick in exchange for prospects and teams weren't biting on it because they wanted. Yeah. That's the rumor. That's, that's what's been floated out there. I've seen on social media that Vegas were offering flurry, a second round pick and 50% retained for prospects. Now maybe they were seeking top prospects, which teams weren't really willing to deal with. Um, if you're but, a prospect going to Vegas, you know you're not going to be playing for that team. You know you're going to be dealt before you get anywhere near that starting lineup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, um, so but one of the things was that some teams wanted to, wanted their first round pick as well. So they were asking for like more in return to give up something like that. And I think it probably stems with or stems from, I should say, um, that whole agent situation, Alan Walsh yeah. and the picture, I think there were concerns that the baggage yeah. of taking on Flurry might have been too much to give up um, like their elite or top prospects or whatever. But I mean, if Vegas is offering Flurry and a second 50% retained, I'm very surprised that teams didn't jump on that. I am actually, and the only thing I wonder is because there were so many big UFA goalies that had already moved around, the teams that needed a goaltender had already moved by that point and whether there just wasn't a kind of a, a home. But you're right, with that kind of retained salary, if that is the case, then I'm surprised he didn't go. I, mean, I remember reading something about um, Robin Leonard had some surgery, I think, didn't he? Um, was it shoulder or something like that he had um, once the season finished? And, you know, he's not expected to be too serious. But uh, I did enjoy talking about the... Uh, 
the sword in the back um, photo where they were saying that uh, Robin Lenner is, uh, you know, week to week with his shoulder surgery recovery and Mark andre Fleury's month to month with uh, recovering from the sword in his back still. And you do yeah. wonder whether that surgery that Robin Lenner had was possibly a reason why Fleury or they weren't as keen to, to ship Fleury off because, you know, you... Len is an interesting one, isn't he? Because he, he has had a good few years and he's kind of proven himself and proven that he deserves a contract he got. But he's not, you know, no goaltender's a surefire thing. And if there's one thing that we learned from Dallas this year with Hudobin, you need a, a, not just a wow. decent backup. You need a backup who can win you some games and some playoff games potentially. Yeah, and that's, um, I mean, that is a good tandem for Vegas to have. Yeah. An expensive one. But it is very good. I mean, it meant like you've got Robin Lehner. If he's on if he's on a hot streak, you're laughing. And then you're just like, right, we're gonna rest you for this game, or it's a back to back or whatever. And who do you call up? Marc Andre Fleury, who is a what, a three time Stanley Cup champion, like used to was a first overall pick in his draft year, like what is interesting how it with that tandem though is going to be interesting is how that dynamic is going to go because that's obviously not a happy dynamic from day one so or from certainly when Lena came in because you know that that picture doesn't go out we've talked about this before but that picture doesn't go out without Flurry knowing about it so there was obviously some um kind of animosity or frustration on Flurry's point of view that he felt like he wanted to to kind of make his point proven that he should be the number one. Um, now that can work in two ways, can't it? You know, you can have two goaltenders fighting each other for the number one jersey can play very well for you. Um, however, you know, it depends what kind of tactics they they involve. But that one we'll, we'll see. But so Petrangelo in, in Vegas was kind of a, it became the kind of the, the obvious thing in the end um, that he moved there. Big contract, eight something million. I can't remember the figure off. 0.8 million. 8.8 million over the full seven years, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so obviously that's going to be a big one for Vegas to chew up towards the end of his career because he's kind of 30 now. So The breakdown is interesting of that as well. And the breakdown is very similar to a lot of other contracts. So have you got it in front of you? Do you... I do, yeah. So um, according to Cat Friendly, um, so... First two years, he's earning a total salary of five million with um, three uh, three million in signing bonuses each of the first two years. So not a lot, no. considering it's eight point eight cap hit. Then it jumps up to seven million signing bonus of eight million dollars in total, and then it goes twelve point three million total, twelve and a half million total, and then ten million total. So the the money really does build later because and i've seen it with a lot of contracts recently actually where a lot of teams will be banking on the cap recovering yeah. over the next few years also um, the income recovering well, well yeah and yeah the overall finances recovering where they are spending less over the next two years to try and keep costs down try and get through everything and then salaries are jumping quite high um, to keep players like happy over the longer term. And But also interesting on that, and you're right, it, that there is a trend there. What's interesting about Petrangelo's contract to some of the others is, you know, he's owed £10 million in cash in the last year of his deal. That basically means that deal is practically unmovable to most teams because there aren't many teams that are going to take on a 37 year old defenseman for $10 million, even if the cap 
it is 8.8. Yeah, so the final year of his deal is 8.8 flat, but it's all salary. There's no signing bonus leverage. So the Leafs have often have these contracts where they'll have signing bonuses tacked on that are the majority of their players' contract or uh, year or something. And it allows them as one of the richest, if not the richest team in the NHL, to just eat up that salary, that signing bonus in one hit and then trade away a cheap deal, um, which a lot of teams really like cover because some teams can need the cap hit but they can't afford the actual cash. Whereas yeah. the Leafs are kind of the opposite at the moment. They can, they can afford the cash, no problem, but it's the cap space that they're, they're after. So for Petro, it's going to be interesting because by that final year, if Vegas are looking to ship him out, they're going to, and he has a full no move clause for every year of his deal. So, Which is also telling as well, because you wonder whether stars will who sign in Vegas after seeing what they've done to some of those players and how quickly they've moved on from them. You wonder whether that is going to be the first thing on the negotiating table. And, you know, if I was Petrangelo and I wanted to stay in Vegas, yeah, make sure that there's money still left to pay at the end of the deal and a full no movement clause. And, and you're a you're a Vegas Golden Knight for as long as you want to be, I would imagine. Um, so a lot of contracts are are built like that for obvious reasons, not much money going around. But the important thing to remember is that the cap hit stays the same. So an NHL contract, the cap hit has to stay the same throughout. So although some of the old ancient contracts that are around where the cap hit kind of changes and you can have back diving contracts and stuff like that, in the NHL, that's not the case. So even though, as James took us through all those different numbers over that contract, his cap hit remains the same regardless of how his um, his money is paid to him each year. So that's 8.8, which is why Nate Schmidt was dealt to Vancouver, saving their free agency in return for a third round draft pick. Um, moving on to kind of the second big name, um, who always seems to be talked about in terms of trade rumours or UFA and is as actually through the deal that he has signed meant that he's going to carry on being talked about because he's probably going to go into the next year uh, UFA class near the top Taylor Hall so interesting one Hall wasn't he He started his career out in Edmonton he was part of a a, a bizarre trade um, between the Edmonton Oilers and the New Jersey Devils Um, he he lit lit up the league um, in New Jersey, uh, won the heart, didn't he? Was it the heart trophy? Yeah, yeah, he was heart. Um, when he was um, in uh, New Jersey. And then, obviously, New Jersey, they tried to load up and tried to kind of go for it with Taylor Hall, and it failed miserably. So they kind of backtracked on that and went for a bit of a rebuild themselves. And obviously, with a player like Taylor Hall, who, who wants to win and wants to try and um, make something of his prime decided to move and and they got a, a move out to the desert out to Arizona and we talked about Taylor Hall in Arizona and there was a lot of talk about him potentially staying there um, when things were a little bit rosier um, for the Coyotes and with the way the Coyote season ended and all the things that have been going on off off the ice it, it, I mean you're you're in a better position to comment on this James and I am but it, it seemed like the two sides just drifted apart in in where they were, and Taylor Hall was kind of gonna gonna end up a free agent, which he did. So take us through that, but then also where he ended up, because I don't know about you, but I never thought that this was the year that I would see Taylor Hall as a Buffalo Saber. 
Yeah, so the, the, the situation with Hall is an interesting one. Um, he came into Arizona. He did very well there. Um, the team won their playing round against Nashville. It was great. He was playing really well. Then they got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs in horrific fashion against the Colorado Avalanche. Back-to-back 7-1 losses. It was not a good look. And after that, there was still talk that, you know, the two sides are still going to, like, talk and see if if something can happen. And it kept going on like that for a few weeks. And then the Arizona Coyotes hired Bill Armstrong as their new general manager. Uh, he was the assistant general manager of the Blues. And he came in and he kind of has started to make his own mark on the franchise. He fired a bunch of people, he's brought in people of his own, revamping the scouting department and all these things. And then there was still the, oh, okay, now we've got a new GM. Seems a bit more settled, especially after the situation with John Shaker and how that separation all unfolded in spectacular fashion. I mean, amazing, really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was was crazy just before the team was flying out for the uh, the qualifying round of the playoffs. Um, We thought, well, maybe you'll have a sit down. Maybe you'll see if Hall can stay. And then about two days before free agency, it was announced that the Coyotes had made the decision to walk away from Hall and that they weren't going to try and re-sign him and they were going to focus on building their own their team a different way and going in a different direction and all this stuff the word rebuild has been bandied around quite a lot um around arizona sports media and the nhl and things like that and then it turns out that the new gm actually never spoke to hall at all in the first place um so a conversation yeah a conversation between the pair did not take place um so the it seems that Armstrong came in and whether it was ownership, uh, Alex Murillo as the owner deciding Hall is going to cost too much money. We need yeah. to be looking at cutting costs rather than adding more or whether or not Armstrong came in and just decided, no, we need to a, a different style. We need a different team. Look, all these things. Um, nothing apparently was spoken between the pair about a potential deal. And um, and then <laughs> after Hall signs with Buffalo, um, he spoke about the uncertainty around the team's GM situation w- with regards to Chaker as being quite ups- unsettling for him um, as one of the main factors for him not staying in Arizona. So there's <laughs> there's a lot of, well what is it? Did the team decide we don't want you or did Hall decide he didn't want to stay? If it's true, Armstrong didn't have a conversation with Hall and how did things play out and all this stuff um, once again has come out about the Coyotes that the fans are just tired. (laughs) The fans have got to be the most exhausted fans in this league because it just seems like every year they hear a story that's just like a facepalm moment for them. And things were looking up. I mean, we talked about it on the last podcast. I remember when we had you on and you kind of almost convinced me that that things were things were on the up in Arizona. And, you know, they certainly looked like it in that qualifying round. I mean, they beat they beat the Predators 3-1 in the best of five series. 
Darcy Kemper was showing everyone this is why he should be more con- like considered more for the mm-hmm. for the Vesna Trophy uh, because he literally stood on his head was phenomenal and literally like to be a Coyotes fan at that moment was phenomenal. It was like oh my gosh, this is great. It's uh, it's like reminiscent of 2012 when they w- went all the way to the Western Conference Final, um, and then they just capitulated and they collapsed against Colorado and then immediately after that it was just this black cloud hanging over them and everything seemed to stem from Chaker and then the team got um, sanctioned heavily by the league um, in what in the most surprising of punishments Um, I mean they lost their second round pick this year so their first pick in this year's draft was the fourth round they lost their first round pick next year it was just everything just seemed to be piling on to this franchise then there was the talk that the owners owed money to the the people that ran the arena and then there was the talk that the ownership had paid players signing bonuses three days late and all these things just kept adding on and then Start, he's goes, starting to see why Taylor Hall thought, nah, you're right. Actually. Yeah, like, and then Hall goes and signs with Buffalo and he talks. And I mean, before he signed with Buffalo, he said that his decision was going to be based purely on winning. Players and, have to say that though, don't they? I mean, I guess. Because what are you going to say? I mean, there's no way as a, as a professional athlete, you're going to turn around and say, actually, do you know what? The most important thing is I get a fat load of money. <laughs> And I mean, obviously, he's banking on himself with this deal because he's going to Buffalo. He's played for Ralph Kruger before. Yeah, and he yeah, says the coach that, of the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, Buffalo Sabres. Um, he said that he's the best coach he's had. And I believe he, I believe, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, it was with Edmonton that he played with him, but it might have been the year that he hit 80 points hmm. with Edmonton. And he said that Kruger was the best coach that he'd worked for. And he really convinced him about what they're trying to build in Buffalo. They've got a new GM in Kevin Adams. And he gets to play on a line with Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner. I mean, that is a scary forward line now. And the good thing for Hall is, of course, if you have a centre like Jack Eichel and you are in a contract year, then, of course, the chances are, even just by turning up and lacing up your skates, you are going to get a load of assists or goals through the work of Jack Eichel. Now, I'm not saying he's going to sit back and not do anything, but, of course, that is the extreme that even if uh, even if Hall had a, a, a mediocre year, shall we say, he could still end up with quite a few points Um thanks to his line mates, which is obviously a nice position to be in. I mean, last year was viewed by many as a mediocre year yeah. for Hall, and he still managed to get 52 points split across yeah. his, his uh, spells with New Jersey and Arizona. I was, I mean, a bit like you, I, I was surprised when I saw Taylor Hall go to Buffalo just because he wasn't really... Maybe I, I also got caught up in that kind of I want to win thing, and I'm not saying Hall, you know, he's it, it, being... Kind of deceiving people when he says that it's just uh, you know, of course players are always going to want to try and win. Of course they are, but I wonder how many other offers Hall was getting of the eight million kind of dollar range of in a team where you can see him having success. And I think that's where I've changed my mindset on the move is that less about 
Taylor Hall winning the Stanley Cup with the Buffalo Sabres next year because you never know it could happen but I highly doubt it but actually if you change that round to can Taylor Hall have success with the Buffalo Sabres next year actually yeah he probably can because they're a team that should or no they shouldn't but they could have a bounce back year Um, they've got some good players in there as you say and he could do well on there and who knows he might even sign there long term yeah, and I mean, success for Taylor Hall with the Buffalo Sabres would be getting them into the playoffs. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs yeah. for the past nine seasons. Jack Eichel has never played a playoff game, and he's nice. arguably a top yeah. 10 player in this league. Taylor Hall has made the playoffs twice in his career. Is there any Is there season. any other league where the likes of, you know, their Conor McDavid's or their Jack Eichel's have so little exposure in the playoffs? I mean, it... It is can't. madness, isn't it? <laughs> can't be, yeah. Like, Hockey. The, the NBA, there's no way LeBron James is is saying that I, oh, you know, he's hardly ever made the playoffs. Like it's just it's madness that they. I don't know. I guess it's the parity, and I guess it's just the way that and the hockey players tend to sign these long term deals, which mean they are kind of, you know, stuck Locked with in. a franchise regardless of of whatever happens. And especially if you're a franchise player like a McDavid or an Eichel. Although there were rumours that Eichel might, you know, might move. Although I imagine having Taylor Hall come in was a was a nice little reason to to stick around a little bit. I mean, longer. if the Sabres don't make the playoffs this year, then that franchise is doomed for eternity, and Eichel will leave because if he can't get into the playoffs with Skinner and Hall as his line mates, then no one. Rasmus Darlene another year on. You would imagine yeah. was going to take a step. Um, their their goaltending, Victor Olofsson, a... Sam Reinhardt—they've yeah. got good players. It's just they can't. Their goaltending is a bit of a question mark, I think, at the moment. I can't remember who they've got yeah. at the moment, but it's that is the biggest Walmart. issue with Buffalo, and it has been the biggest issue for Buffalo for many years since Ryan Miller. Really, like he was the last real goaltender that was really good. I mean, they've got Carter Hutton, and they've got. Linus Olmark and yeah they're they're right they're pretty good but they're not enough I'd say um I floated an idea of maybe the Sabres should look to acquire someone um maybe of the Marc-Andre Fleury ilk um be interesting wouldn't it (laughs) but I don't I don't know if he would go there if I'm honest I don't think and it doesn't look like yeah it doesn't look like they'll um They'll head there. Um, just looking at some of the other players. So Taylor Hall is signed for uh, eight million one year, um, straight up. Bit of a another kind of banking on himself deal. So he'll head to um, unrestricted free agency again next year. So the Taylor Hall sweepstakes will happen again. Um, and hey, look, if if things don't go well in Buffalo, he could be another one that moves at the trade deadline again. I mean, he could end up with the yeah. most jerseys in the NHL by the end of his career. <laughs> Um, some of the other big names that um, that went during unrestricted free agency, and I'm holding back on the Leafs ones because we will talk a little bit about the Leafs because um, we haven't really talked about them for the last couple of weeks because there's not really been much to talk about. Um, but obviously, they've made quite a few moves. Um, Tyler Toffoli was a big one um, and a good-looking deal as well. Um, we'll come on to the other goaltenders um, a little bit later on. But there were quite a few moves that... I don't know. It, it, there seemed to be a lot of bargain deals that were going around, or certainly 
players seem to be taking or seem to be happy to take a little bit less for a little bit of stability. But, you know, there were very few. I think there was at one point, you know, two days into free agency, there was something like only three or four deals that had gone beyond like four years. Most of them were like one one year, two year kind of let's just get through these next couple of years. And obviously we've talked about the reasons why that is. But were there any kind of deals that stood out to you? Um, James, that were kind of particular nice um, steals or, or good contracts for, for teams? Um, so, I mean, there's obviously bigger name players getting deals. Chris Tanev signing with the Calgary Flames was quite yeah. nice. 4.5 million uh, cap hit a season. Um, Vancouver offloading so many good players. Um Obviously, they got Schmidt, which is great. But, I mean, they lost Tanev. They lost Stetcher. Um, they lost Markstrom as well. Um, some really good players that they've lost um, was a shock. Braden Holtby signing for Vancouver, though. 4.3 million for two, like, uh, a season for two years. That is an excellent like, replacement for losing Markstrom um, in terms of goaltending. Um some smaller name players getting some decent deals as well. Vinny Hinestrosa signing for Florida. He signed one year deal, um, one million. Kind of a prove it deal again. Um, had a couple really good seasons, um, but his most recent season with Arizona, he was quite disappointing. Started playing further and further down the lineup. Um, and he was a restricted free agency and they just decided to let his rights expire. They were kind of like, no, we're not even going to bother trying to pick up him. And they just kind of let him walk. Um, one person instead... on that, uh, on kind of, sorry, go on, Carol. Oh, uh, so what I was going to say was, um, but in, in, in replacing him, they picked up um, Johan Larson, who played for the Buffalo Sabres and is one of the better depth defensive forwards in the league, I would say. His, yeah. his, his numbers are excellent, and they picked him up for two years, 1.4 million per. Um, I know the Coyotes have had a bit of a bad look recently, but they wanted to add depth. They wanted to add physicality and defensive um, style, and they, they got that. And Larson actually looks to be a really nice pickup for the Arizona Coyotes. I know, obviously, losing Taylor Hall, getting Larson instead, and Tyler Pitlick from the Flyers is nowhere near comparable. But in terms of what they're trying to achieve with their current roster, then he was a really good deal. Uh, and that seems well. to be the thing, doesn't it? That you know, teams are teams this off season particularly seem happy that if the deal isn't right for them, they're not gonna they're not gonna shy away from from letting an asset just walk because you know money's so tight and you know they've got to be so careful with where they do put their money. What what I was gonna kind of jump in with was actually what you were talking about players going kind of you know just leaving. Um, Tyler Johnson was a fascinating one in Tampa and the fact that, you know, there he is lifting the Stanley Cup and then a couple of weeks later he's put on unconditional waivers and he clears waivers. And, you know, this is this is a guy who, you know, he on cap friendly is marked as a left wing, centre, right wing. You know, he can play that. He's got a Stanley Cup ring that is about to be put on his finger. 
you know, in previous years, like there is no chance that Tyler Johnson goes to unrestricted uh, waivers. And it sounds like Tampa Bay just did not get anything like what they wanted to on the trade market and couldn't find anybody. And again, I mean, they're a, they're an interesting one because, of course, you know, Tampa have been have been loading up for for years and are kind of in their prime and obviously have won the Stanley Cup. So they're always going to be tight against the cap and his you know, his contract of 5 million was just too much in the end. But there is a lot of players who are available and teams who have cap space and have money available to spend have been able to to flex that muscle particularly. Yeah, and with, with Johnson, I think Tampa were kind of hoping that a team would claim him because they couldn't get anything on the market. But yeah. he is still on their books. They, haven't, they yeah. didn't buy him out. So, I mean, that contract's just sat there now. And... It's shown Tampa that if they really want to trade him, they might have to be looking at, you know, just offloading him for peanuts, like a bag of pucks or something, because yeah. a team would have taken that deal. A team like Ottawa, I'm kind of surprised, didn't take that deal. Same. A team yeah. like Buffalo, I'm kind of surprised they didn't take that deal. Um, and I mean, his salary, you know, I mean, it's $5 million flat like cap hit. Um, but this season he only earned 3.75 mil. Then it's five and a half, but then it drops down to 3.75 again. And it's 4.75 in his final year. Um, and he's got no trade clause, modified no trade clause. So it really makes it hard for Tampa to do anything with. Um, so I guess they were kind of hoping a team would have taken him, but no one, no one did. So now they've just got him there and they're kind of like, well, I guess we have to keep you. And that must that must be quite an awkward situation for him, considering he has just won the Stanley Cup with them. Yeah, really, really tough. And, and it, it shows the kind of the hockey business side um, of it. And it's, it's kind of the, the reminder of that. And with a with a hard cap that the NHL have, there are always going to be those um, decisions that have to be made. Now, we've gone a whole kind of 45 minutes without mentioning the Leafs. And I've actually gone probably a good few weeks without really talking about them because of being in a sulk about how they exited the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, they didn't even make the playoffs. But um, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they have done a lot in this offseason. And yeah. it's probably been the most, unpre- well, not unpredictable, but the most interesting offseason the Leafs have had um, in quite a few years. Because actually, a lot of talk in Leafs off-seasons has just been about signing their restricted free agents. So Marner, Nylander, uh, Matthews and all those players. Um, so not since really Tavares, the the kind of UFA chasing of Tavares has been a kind of an interesting off-season um, Leafs story for any other anyone else other than the diehards. But but this year, there really did seem to be um, a taste for change. Um, Kyle Dubas seemed quite... Um, open to the fact that there were a lot of changes that, that needed to be made and there were some obvious ones there was the the vacant kind of right-handed defenseman position that's been the case for quite a long time and um, the Leafs filled that with TJ Brody from um, Calgary um, unrestricted free agent signed for a pretty modest 4.75 was it I think flat five actually was it flat five flat five, um, yeah. flat five. and I mean that was again not a not a massive shock um, because he was a player that the Leafs had tried to to trade for the previous year when they um, were trading Nazem Kadri. They tried to get a trade going with Calgary, but 
Kadri in the end. He, he was on didn't no want trade. To go to yeah, he didn't have his. Said uh, said no thanks. I mean, it worked out well for him, didn't it? In the end, he ended up yeah. in Colorado. I mean, that was a, a great move for him personally. But um, so TJ Brody signs. That's the right-handed defenseman sorted. And what was interesting then was all the attention kind of then went to the depth forwards and the depth defensemen and all of this talk of you know the Leafs need to get a bit more grit or the Leafs need to get a bit more um presence was the term that I kept hearing banded around um from their players and I guess some of that came from um the Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay winning and the way that they've won with those core skilled players but they had some real tough players in there um what do you what do you make of those signings and we'll go through them but what do you make of the signings that they made in the off season overall i'm very pleased with how the leafs um the free agency has gone tj brody great right-handed defense uh, right side defenseman um morgan riley has never had a legitimate number one pairing partner in his time, <laughs> ever, like ever. I mean, yeah. I think he played with Dion Phaneuf a little bit at one time. Ron Hainsey was probably his Ron most. Hainsey, yeah, was <laughs> his was his most stable and yeah. partner. And when when your most stable partner is thirty eight years old, mm. had only actually played in the playoffs once before yeah. coming to the Leafs. Obviously, won the cup that year, which was you know lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's not great, and then obviously you have him with Cody CC, who is literally a pylon. Um, Tyson Barry couldn't work. Jake Gardner and Riley, when they were together, had great like uh, advanced stats, but were never together enough to really be yeah. considered a, an actual pairing. And to give Bro like to give Riley TJ Brody, a guy that Dubas wanted last year, as we said. I think that's excellent. I think that really solidifies the top pairing for the Leafs. Um, but then they go out and they add Zach Bogosian as well. Another right side defenseman, big physical presence, um, just won the Stanley Cup with the Lightning. Projects to be bottom pairing, but he's the sort of guy that can help um, some of the younger defensemen on the team grow Um because he's going to be the guy that sticks up for them. Uh, a guy like Rasmus Sandin um, already had the first year of his ELC burnt last year because he played too many games. I can I can envisage um, a partnership of Sandin and Bogosian because Bogosian will be the guy that keeps the flies off of the young Swedish left-sided defenseman, yeah. um, protecting him, helping him because... Sandine's style is more puck mover, whereas Bogosian is kind of just a brick wall. Yeah. Um, will fight guys, will really get in their face. Um, Doesn't wear year, a visor. <laughs> yeah, that's like that sort of player. Um, one year, $1 million deal. If he's awful, he can be buried in the minors and it won't cost the Leafs anything. Um, but, and by the way, know, the Leafs, the Leafs kind of standard of awful uh, bottom line defense is pretty low. So, you know, Zach, you're, you're yeah. probably good. <laughs> He's probably fine. But if you um, look at that defense core now, I mean, the, the Leafs have kind of, for the, certainly the last few years of, of kind of getting those big forwards signed and getting them yeah. through once those ELCs were gone, the Leafs defense has been, you know, a kind of a, not a laughing stock, but it's certainly been the thing that everybody everybody points to as the problem with the Leafs. And, and if, you'd have, if you'd have said to me, before 
um, you know, as we as we left the uh, the playoff bubble and lost to Columbus, if you'd have said that going into next season, whenever it starts, you're going to have a defense court of Jake Muzzin, Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Justin Hull, Zach Bogosian, and Rasmus Sandin, Travis Dermott also in there as well. Miko Lettinen is a bit of an unknown, but you know he's doing really well in the KHL. If it, as a defense court, I'd look at that and go. Hang on, are we are we are we stacked at defense? Have we have we got more than six defensemen that could potentially play? Yeah, I mean, it's now getting to a point where there's talk of do they now trade Dermot or do they yeah. now trade Hull because they've got too many guys to choose from that are top six guys. And um, I wrote a piece um, for editor in Leaf about like predicting the Leafs um, top six. Um, and their, their pairings. And, you know, there's some flexibility, particularly with Mika Lettinen, who he's going to be playing in the NHL and he could be in their top four on the right side very easily. Was voted uh, best defenseman in the KHL last season. He's already got 40, like 13, 14 points in like nine games uh, so far this season, which is wow. unheard of in the KHL. Like scoring points in the KHL is ridiculously hard, especially yeah. for defensemen. And he's at more than a point per game. Like wow. this guy, he's going to get power play minutes. He's going to be a legit NHL player. So do you think then, we're, without going too deep into the kind of, you know, what the Leafs are going to do next year, but can you imagine then it's going to be something like a Riley, Brody, Muzzin, Lettinen, Bogosian, Sandine? Yeah. Um, so the piece that I wrote kind of looked into that and I had Lettinen slash Hall on the right on the right side um, yeah. because it's unclear what they're going to do with Hall because Hall and Muzzin as a pairing did very well last year. They did, yeah. Um, they, did. they formed really good chemistry. They were a really nice shut down sort of pairing. Um, so whether or not he wants to stray from that. Holes locked in at you know I know it's two million, which is probably slightly higher than you'd want to spend. And if they'd have waited until after the pandemic, yeah. they probably would have got a bit less. But even so, he is locked in for three years at two million, which is one of you know because that is one thing about the Leafs with the way that they've constructed all of their signings is pretty much everybody apart from Brody is a one-year deal, and so you've got to have this same upheaval again next year. So players like Hall at two million, you think actually there's probably some value in trying to bake him in right now. Um, to the lineup because of that deal. Yeah, um, unless they like Dermot enough to ship Hall and yeah. bring Dermot in because obviously their cap situation is very tight at the moment. Yeah. Um, so that second pairing is going to be interesting. And then I kind of said with the third pairing that it'll either be Lettinen or Sandine on the bottom. Um, Dermot's really going to have to fight for his spot in this top six. Um, I mean, he's been good since entering the league, but there were times last year where you kind of looked at him and you were like, mm, yeah. is he is he already reaching kind of like his peak, like his pinnacle? Like, is mm -hmm. this what Dermot is? Can he be more? Some of the mistakes that he made, like the, the absent-minded moves, the moves that happened at times. Yeah. It's raised questions. Um, and Sandine, like as young as he is, has looked had looked great at times. Um, obviously played very sheltered minutes. But if you partner him with big bodied Zach Bogosian, 
Yeah. He's probably going to be fine. He's, probably he's a tough guy more. as well. I mean, he's a tough yeah. guy. He, he is small, he, you know, small Swedish defenseman, but he, he was tough. And I remember him throwing his weight, what, what weight he had. I remember him throwing around in those few games. And some of the other signings that the Leafs brought in, I mean, some of them, you know, were interesting to kind of Leaf fans like us, but I'll, I'll, I'll grant they're probably not going to raise many eyebrows for, for many people outside of Leafs Nation. But some that did, Wayne Simmons, who you mentioned earlier on, um, signed a one-year deal. He was probably the first um, signing of free agency, as such a big-name signing of free agency. $1.5 million um, for the kind of, you know, the the Ontario boy. And that's one of the things that you're going to see running through this lineup. There's a lot of Ontario um, players or born players uh, coming back to Toronto, which is the kind of the thing that the thing was supposedly was never going to happen because of the way the Leafs organization was run and, and all of the media and fans in Toronto being too tough on those players, but they're, they're coming back. Wayne Simmons, one of them, as I say, one year, 1.5 million. What's interesting about Wayne Simmons is not only that he brings that toughness and he, he brings that kind of the player you really don't want to play against um, and that grit is he's only 32, which is actually not as old as you might think Wayne Simmons is. And while he's had a tough couple of years, um, certainly his few games in Buffalo were nothing to, to write home about and he struggled in New Jersey and he has not had the best few years. However, he's also had a lot of injuries. He's had quite a tough, um, a tough physical couple of years and he's had a very long time off. Um, he's one of the players that, you know, has, has been pretty much rested um, ever since the, the pandemic kicked in. So really it's a bit of a wild card, what you're getting with Wayne Simmons, because you don't know where you've got the Wayne Simmons who was banged up playing hurt towards, um, you know, March time. Or are you going to get Wayne Simmons at 32 with a bit of rest and actually could rediscover some of his form while keeping some of those physical traits that the Leafs really need? Yeah, and and Simmons spoke after signing saying that he's probably um, feeling the best he's felt since 2017. And in the the 2017-2018 season, he had 24 goals and 46 points. Now, yep. we're not we're not expecting <laughs> yep. that from Sibbons, who is more than likely going to play on the fourth line. But if he gets some third line minutes, maybe some second power play unit time, mm. you know, he could chip in with some goals. And like you said, he's only 32. He's two years away from having 24 goals. He had 16, well, he had 17 the following year. But since... Since 2019, he's played for three different teams. Yeah. He played for Nashville, Buffalo, and New Jersey. Oh, Nashville. Um, God, I'd forgotten about Nashville. Yeah. He went to Nashville um, for a little bit, 17 games, not a lot. Obviously, it takes quite a bit of time to then adjust to a new team and system and all that stuff. Then he goes to New Jersey, has a bit more stability, gets a bit banged up. And then he goes to Buffalo, doesn't really have a chance to settle, and then everything shuts down. And he's going to be far more rested than he normally would be. Hmm. I mean, by the time the season kicks off, it will have been almost a whole year. Yeah. Like without playing, like it will have been probably about 10 months by if, if the league resumes on January the 1st, like they hope, then it will have been about 10 months (laughs) since his last actual game. Like for a guy that plays so physically, um, the way that he does, that time off will be 
fantastic for him, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's a great guy. He's going to be great for the players around him. He's so lively and well-liked around the league. And he might end up playing third-line minutes. Mm. But, I mean, if he doesn't, he could still be an exceptionally good physical presence on the fourth line with some of the other veterans that the team has or has acquired. Um, and like with all these deals, the Leafs have made, barring Brody, they're all, you know, 1.5 million. You know, this is not a, you know, I can't imagine Wayne Simmons is getting sent to the minors, but, you know, this is this is not a, a contract that is going to kill you. And even not with the Leafs all. tight against the cap, then, you know, those are exactly the kind of contracts you want to, to get. Um, a couple of other, I'll just mention one other name and then we'll talk about the kind of the, the one remaining big name that signed uh, very recently, Jimmy VC is an interesting one um, that signed with the Leafs. Um, he's kind of a player that has kind of struggled a little bit to live up to to the hype um, that he had. And it was actually linked to the Leafs ages ago uh, for a trade involving William Nylander, funnily enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so he, again, he signed a very, uh, very modest deal one year, 900 K um, again, bit of a show me deal see what he can prove um to see if he can try and um i don't know get be in a position to negotiate a better contract next year but one of the things with the Leafs and all of these players is you kind of even if they are only there for a year to try and you know really pump their stats up and and prove to the league that they've still got it you kind of think if you can make up a team of players who are that motivated even even if they're only motivated for themselves it's still going to have a, an effect on the team down on that fourth and third line um but the name that we obviously, you know, do want to talk about is Joe Thornton. Now, you know, Leafs continue to to break San Jose Sharks' hearts by signing their <laughs> signing their beloved players, following in the footsteps of Patrick Marlowe and his time with the Leafs. Now, very different situation to Patrick Marlowe. Um, Joe Thornton signs for one year instead of three years. He signs for a cap hit of one million dollars instead of six point two five million dollars. Um. A very different scenario, but one that was been heavily talked about for a long time with the Leafs and, and they had been trying to, to get him. And even going back to Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock trying to uh, to to bring Joe Thornton to Toronto. Um, a really kind of big statement move and one that potentially they're, they're getting somebody who brings a lot more than just what he'll... Uh, do on the ice I would imagine with someone like Joe Thornton I mean the guy's you know 41 and he's had an incredible career but to get somebody with the experience that he has for 700k and yeah league min contract 700k and to be able to put out a line with Joe Thornton Jason Spetzer Wayne Simmons, you know, those kind of players, along with Stanley Cup winners like Jake Muzzin, Zach Bogosian, you know, John Tavares with the career that he's had and the leadership that he had with the Islanders. Suddenly you're looking at that Leafs lineup and there is no longer that kind of youthful, inexperienced. We don't really know what we're doing. We're, you know, with uh, the Matthews Marn and Nylander crew. This is a... This is a team that is, you know, has got everything on paper. Now, whether that comes through on the ice or not, I will not be held account accountable to saying I think the Leafs are going to win the, the cup or anything like that. But the the fragile bits on paper that we looked at previously with the Leafs have been addressed in this offseason, in my opinion. James Joe Thornton signing, 
What are your thoughts? I mean, apart from who won his jersey. <laughs> yeah, where he's going to wear number ninety-seven. Uh, where's Where's that yes. for Team Canada? Uh, first, no, first, first player in Leafs history. Yeah, no player has ever won ninety-seven. Uh, welcome Leafs. to it, Joe. You're welcome. I know to a it. lot of people were expecting that to be McDavid in about five years' time, but <laughs> Thornton gets there first. Um, and I mean, Thornton had a down season um, of thirty-one points uh, in seventy games with the Sharks, um, which you know. For Sharks the Leafs, had a down year. Yeah. If the Leafs get him to have 31 points as a fourth liner, they're laughing um, because the Sharks had a down year and the year before that, he had 51 points, 16 goals. Like, he's not yes, that please. far away from having performed well. The year before that, he had 36 points in 47 games. Like, this guy can still play. Yeah. He's playing, he's moved over to Davos in the yeah. Swiss League. Uh, he got an assist in his first game. That's one of the things um, I love about him. Like you think, you know, yeah, people will throw around his age and all this kind of stuff. And you, uh, and you think, do you know what though? This guy is NHL royalty. He's probably going to the hall of fame, all of this kind of stuff. Yet at the age he is in the, in when he could be sitting there doing nothing, he's out in Switzerland. And I think, he, I think he's married. His wife is Swiss, I think, or something like yeah, that. I think, he has, um, I think he has citizenship there and he has a house, like he, he lives there in the off yeah. season. So, you know, the, the whole being in Switzerland thing is not, uh, not so much of a, a thing to write home about, but the fact he's playing competitive hockey right now at, you know, at his age and time of his career just shows that he either still loves the game or he really still has a desire to go on. And you read some of the interviews that he's, put out over the last 24 hours and um, speaking to the media and i mean he is saying all the right things you know he's talking about the fact that he really wants he needs to win a stanley cup was his uh, exact wording and you know he sees toronto as a place that he can go to do that i hope he's right um but but he's exactly the type of player that you want in those scenarios when the Leafs do their Leaf thing and, and you know, we're in game seven or game six and they're looking like they're about to throw away that three goal lead and all of this kind of stuff. You know, if you look around the room and you've got the likes of Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, John Tavares, Zach Bogosian, those kind of players, Jake Muzzin, Morgan Riley, who's been there all the way through it all. You look at that room and you think, you know, we have got, <laughs> we have got the collective kind of ability and, um, kind of experience to get through whatever anybody throws at them and it's funny how a signing like that which you know a fourth line center which is what he's most likely going to be can make you feel so excited about the upcoming season it's ridiculous they do it to me every year james they do it to me every year every year yeah every year they do something that makes you think oh maybe it's this year could it finally get be this um but i mean there was, there's been a lot of talk on social media about like teams that win the Stanley Cup often have like a good story attached to them. Mm. And what's a better story than Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza in the twilight of their career going back to Toronto, where they're from, and lifting the Stanley Cup? Man, like it just, makes you oh, dream stop it, just stop a bit it. too much. <laughs> but just imagine, but, like, who would they hand the cup to? Like, you've got Tavares lifts a cup Tavares, and then he hands it to, you know, I mean, Riley, let, probably. let's say he hands it Matthews. to Riley and let's say he hands it to Matthews because Matthews has, has scored just an insane mm-hmm. amount of goals. And then what do you do? You've got 
you've got Joan Thornton, you've got Jason Spetzer, you've got Wayne Simmons, you've got, you know, you kind of looking like at the Hall of Fame and going, oh, who shall I pass this to? I mean, Literally. we really need. I mean, which, we need to stop which because Hall of this, Famer. <laughs> this is gonna, yeah. gonna get I me mean, way but, too excited for this, but. He's going to be a great fourth line centre. Like yeah. Spetzer is a centre as well, but Spetzer can play on the wing. Yeah. So I reckon that on the fourth line they're going to have Thornton and Spetzer as a partnership yeah. um, early on for sure, because um, that experience alone is just going to be so <laughs> vital. Um, and I think like he can still do it. He's going to put up some points playing fourth line minutes which he kind of was doing last last season anyway. He only averaged about 15 minutes a game last year, which was a drop from the year before of like just like nearly 19. And um, to put up 31 points playing that much as like a 40, 41-year-old is excellent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's going to the Leafs. They're far more offensively minded. He's on a league minimum deal. So if you get 30, 35 points out of a league minimum deal... Yeah. you're laughing um and it's just you know he's just got so much experience he's such a leader on the ice like this team needs leaders all over the ice yeah. i know that people like some people have been commenting on like what does this say about john tavares as a captain absolutely nothing, nothing. tavares is a great captain good leader everything like that the young guys are the leaders of the future but you still need those other older guys that have been there yeah. for so long just to kind of give you that well-rounded. Um, I was and listening to with, the... with a desire still to, to yeah, go on and, I mean, and, and win. Spetzer came back, took a league minimum deal because he's like, and he spoke, he said that he's training at the moment to come back fit and ready because yeah. he has that desire to win in Toronto. Joe Thornton says that he is desperate to win the Stanley Cup and he believes yeah. that... To, that Toronto is a team ready to win now. And I mean, like guys four years ago would never have said that about Toronto, like (laughs) not at all. So I think adding Thornton is going to be excellent, but I also wanted to briefly touch on VC who you mentioned, Mm. because actually he is a very intriguing and interesting player that the Leafs have added because he was coming out. He was a highly touted prospect coming out of college um the sabers traded either he was drafted by the sabers um hold on i can i can literally check this i'm looking at his page now he was that was it he was drafted by nashville Mm. coming out of college didn't want to sign with nashville it seemed so the sabers traded for his rights to uh try and negotiate a deal didn't want to sign with the sabers so he, he was a ufa he wanted to go home so he went to the new york rangers the Leafs at that time were also a team that were in for him. They really wanted him because he was the Hobie Baker winner. He was so like so good in college at Harvard. He was a player that they wanted. Now for the Rangers, he scored 16, 17, 17 goals a season as probably a third liner average. That's Bad. really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't put up many assists. I think his highest career like season total points is 35. But he gets you goals, mm. um, scores 17 goals a season, went to Buffalo, played 64 games, only had nine goals. But that's still about a 12, 13 goal ratio, like average, maybe yeah. even 14 goals a seat, like in Buffalo. 
So not bad. Signs $900,000 really is a prove it deal because it's one year. But he's being reunited with Alex Kerfoot, who he played with at Harvard. That's right. They were line mates at Harvard and they were fantastic together. So you're getting Jimmy VC at less than a million dollars who has scored 17 goals a season quite consistently before me being moved to Buffalo playing alongside a guy who he was putting 30 goals up alongside in college and making him the player that everyone wanted at. And I mean, it's a, it's a little story that you people don't really like focus on that much, but I mean, for VC it's, it's kind of like the perfect situation for him to land in. He yeah. goes to the Leafs, very offensive-minded structure. He's going to get points. He's playing with Kerfoot, who Kerfoot apparently was the one that kind of persuaded him to join the Leafs. Interesting. He, was, he, he spoke to him in Boston. They, they met up in Boston. They had a chat, and Kerfoot was like, if, if the Leafs are interested in you, you've got to come. It's a mm. great situation. And he signed, and now they're playing together. I mean... I think VC is actually going to have a very good season playing for Toronto because oh of that dear, I'm getting excited. This is not good. <laughs> I'm getting that hope again. But like I was saying earlier, like how people were saying, teams that win the Stanley Cup need good stories around them. The Leafs yeah. are starting to have some good stories around them. Obviously, yeah. they've had that top talent. Like it's clear to see Tavares, Nylander. Matthews, Marner, Morgan Riley, Freddie Anderson, these players. But then the other guys in the end, like Andreas Johnson had a great story, seventh round pick, mm. look, overlooked by pretty much every team in the league. They discover he had as, like asthma that had been undiagnosed and they treated it and he became this really good third line sort of winger. Sad to see him go, but now they've added a bunch of players that are hungry players that have connections, players that really want to prove that they can do it and prove that they can win. And I think that just breeds a culture in the team. And to summarise that culture, I read that, um, you know, Jason Spetzer and Joe Thornton had exchanged numbers, uh, exchanged text messages because, um, you know, Joe Thornton wore 19 in San Jose and uh, Jason Spetzer wore 19 with the Leafs last year. And uh, Spetzer texted Thornton saying, um, hey, do you want 19? You're more than welcome to it. You you can have it. And Joe Thornton replied saying, no, 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 don't you worry. And they basically both talked of the respect they have for each other as a player and in both willing to offer up the number and to to say, no, 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 you you deserve to keep that. And, you know, it's a it's a silly little thing. And, and sports sportsmen get way too wound up about numbers and stuff like that. But it does just show the type of, you know, respect those guys have for each other. And, and you know, if there was ever a, a load of players who've come in with a mission, a one-year mission, uh, hopefully they uh, they succeed in at least a, a very good run with that. We've got to stop talking about the Leafs because otherwise I'm going to get way too excited and start like diving deep onto uh, onto watching YouTube highlights as to thinking how this Leafs team can actually uh, go on and win the Stanley Cup. Um, one of the things I do want to talk about is the the goalie market and how that played out in unrestricted free agency. Um, I should say, actually, we haven't really talked about the draft. Um, one, because I don't really understand it. Um, I don't understand what happens beyond the first round, really. I'm one of those fans who, you know, I I watched it. I watched the first round and, uh, you know, it's always interesting. But 
I, you know, there are, I, I can recommend um, the hockey uh, across the pond um, podcast. Um, those guys did a load of stuff on the draft and, and there is loads of really kind of interesting draft material. Um, I'm not speaking on behalf of James, but I'm speaking on behalf of myself and say that there's nothing I can tell you about the draft that is worth listening to. <laughs> um so than the Leafs got some great pickups in the in the early and mid rounds. I will believe you 100%, and I look forward <laughs> to in three years' time saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I knew about so and so." But yeah, so dig out if the draft is your thing, then uh, dig out people who know far more about it than I do. Um, but um, I do want to talk about the goalie market in unrestricted free agency because it was much talked about going into the off season. And there were a lot of players who were unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents. Um, and you never know whether it's all going to be just hype. It's a little bit like offer sheets, isn't it? You wonder whether these players will then end up falling back into place with their teams. Um, but that was really the story of day one of free agency was the goalie market just went nuts and everybody started signing everywhere. And there seemed to be this mad dash to try and... Um, to get people in place and while Petrangelo seemed to hold up free agency for everybody else and, and Hall as well and, and because those deals came a bit later it it seemed like other teams were kind of holding back a little bit to see what happened with the big fish the goalie market went early and went fast um, probably the, the biggest I don't know if you'd agree but I think probably the biggest story was that Markstrom left Vancouver and signed that big deal in um, Calgary um, six years, six million something. Um, and was there was always going to be a difficult conversation for Vancouver because of their cap situation. And also because of, you know, the, and this is not a bad thing, but because how well Demko did in that um, final few games for them. And you mentioned it earlier, they bought in Braden Holtby um, for a couple of years. Now, that's an interesting one because that would suggest that you have Holtby and Demko as a bit of a, uh, tandem for a couple of years and to to then put Demko in place you know as the number one in a few years time whereas Markstrom for example he wanted his six-year deal and Vancouver would have had to committed to that early um, and which is probably one of the reasons why I ended up in Calgary. Yeah I mean with Markstrom it's hard for Vancouver to give him six years he's already 30 by the end of that deal he'll be 36 it's really difficult to project goaltenders over that length of time when they're already 30. So for, for Vancouver, they get Holtby. He's 31. He's won, he's won a cup. He's been excellent for Washington from the last few years. And he's going to be their starter for two years. And then by the end of it, Demko should be taking on that role. Demko was a highly touted draft pick from them. He's developing nicely, looked great. Uh, this past um, uh, postseason, and yeah, that's really the smartest decision for them. Uh, I would argue that the uh, the bigger storyline of the goaltender market was Henrik Lundqvist joining Washington after his entire career with the Rangers, getting bought out. Thirty eight years old, now he's in Washington. That's probably the biggest story um, of this. Um, of yeah, this no, you're, you're right. We mentioned, so we, we talked about Lundqvist leaving the Rangers uh, on our last podcast, but you're right. The kind of the, 
the what happened to him next bit was the uh, the bit obviously the information we didn't have very interesting that he went to the capitals yeah um one year deal i think it's only about 1.4 million dollars in actual money um so i mean for him his buyout money <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically um so that's probably the biggest story um in terms of other deals though for goaltenders you've got matt murray going to ottawa i mean Ottawa actually paying money. Hey. <laughs> 6.25 million um, per season for four years. Like that's their starter now, locked up while they work on figuring out who their future starter is going to be. I mean, they've got so many goaltending prospects. They've got Marcus Hogberg, they've got Philip Gustafsson, they've got Joey Decord. Um, they've got they've even got Mad Sogard. Um, they've got a bunch of goaltenders. To me, now. Matt Murray signing there was probably the was up there with Taylor Hall signing in Buffalo for that kind of looking at your phone, going, "Whoa, what?" Like, I mean, it just seems such a little a, bit. Yeah, I mean, seemed, it was a trade. Um, it was a trade. Yeah, he was traded there. He was an, he was a restricted free agent. Pittsburgh weren't going to pay him what he wanted. They couldn't re- they couldn't really afford him. To be fair, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and... it, I felt like Murray was going to end up somewhere. I just, I would have never have thought the Sens were where that was going to be. The Sens had the best, were in the best position to deal any drafts, any draft picks. Mm. They had, like they had so many draft picks entering this year that um, they were going to make a splash somewhere. So they get Murray. Um, they make they. I mean, he goes to Ottawa. He's kind of really got no other choice. Um, now because they hold his rights they can just hold him and he can't go anywhere um so he might as well sign a long-term deal get that financial stability and ottawa's going to be a team that is going to be good in a couple of years because all their best players now are younger than like 22 Mm. they're all prospects and in like two years time they're all going to be playing in the nhl like they're going to be hitting like that 22 to 24 age mark. Some of them will be hitting like 20 because they've just yeah. been drafted. And the, and the Senators are going to be a scary team again. Um, so for him, it's kind of a good position to be in because he's going to be there for four years. By the end of that, that team will probably be pretty good. And he could probably then command a longer deal and remain if the other goalies haven't stepped up in the same way. And that's the crazy thing with him because he's so young. Like you think of Matt Murray as this kind of, you know, this this veteran goaltender because he's won his cups and all this kind of stuff, but he's still crazy young. Um, Twenty six. Yeah, exactly. It pains me to say, but Ottawa do look like they've got a lot better in this uh, free agency. Yeah, um, Good Branson's an interesting one. Um, not a lot of people rate him at all. He's more physical than anything else. Um, and I think for Ottawa, he's kind of just there to protect the young kids that are going to be coming up because they've got some really nice pieces um, on defence as well. They've got, um, obviously, Thomas Shabbat already. They've got Eric Brandstrom, um, a great young prospect. Jake Sanderson, be- arguably the best defenseman in this year's draft. They've drafted fifth overall. They've got some really nice pieces in Ottawa. And in a couple of years... Ottawa's not going to be this bottom of the league team anymore. They're going to be really interesting. And um, it worries me this uh, this Atlantic division. <laughs> yeah, because uh, um, you know Detroit, uh, Detroit are probably a bit a bit behind. You know the Sens in in their rebuild and and you know all of this kind of. They stuff, took but... too long to decide to do a rebuild. 
that's their problem. Yeah, Ottawa but, just decided, right, we're cleaning house now. Let's just acquire everything. Whereas Ottawa, whereas Detroit's kind of done it over time. The different the difference is though, the Sens deciding to clean the house was like deciding to you know clean your one bedroom flat. Whereas Detroit cleaning their house was their eight bedroom mansion and the West Wing. Like it was this kind of you know gigantic dynasty of a of a team and i guess you know it, it takes somebody with a um a strong uh kind of you know knowing that they had their backing and knowing that they were in a good position to to do a rebuild in somewhere like detroit but you're right i mean dadanoff as well signing with the sends is another you know really interesting signing, signing for them really Duclair, good i'm quite surprised unless anything's happened today but i'm quite surprised nothing's happened so far signed. but I still think he's going to loop back round to the Senators because he had a really good season with them last year. He's representing mm. himself, which is going to be really difficult, yeah. um, especially in the current climate. And I reckon that he will probably end up going back to Ottawa. Currently still a free agent. Which I think, yeah. yeah, he is. And I think that's fine for him, to be fair. like I think that's going to be really nice for him mm. um, if he goes back to Ottawa, put up more points, get paid, um, maybe not as much as he'd like, but he might sign a shorter term deal, more mm. of a bridged prove it deal again. And if he continues to step up, maybe he gets his money later um, because he's he's looked great as well. Um, but yeah, the goaltender market's been really interesting. Um, the Leafs even added Arundel from yeah. the Sharks, um, a great third third Happy guy with option. He'll start with the Marlies. He'll probably be the Marlies starter next year while they try and figure out about Ian Scott and uh, Joseph Wall. But um, Anton Hudobin as well, bad. re-signing um, with re-signing Dallas. Dallas. That yeah, looked that like it might one. not happen um, for a bit, um, but then he yeah. did end up re-signing um, with them. A couple of other ones just to kind of to list off um, for you. I'm just going through the kind of list of of um, goaltenders that were to re-sign. So Jake Allen went to Montreal, obviously, earlier on, and he's just signed uh, three-year deals. He's going to be staying with them uh, a little bit longer. Mike Smith staying in Edmonton. Um, You've got uh, Thomas Grice going to Detroit, which is an interesting one. Um, So Detroit obviously needing to find somebody to go in goal um, for them. Um, One of the other interesting ones is Corey Crawford going to the New Jersey Devils. Now, you know, Chicago, we probably haven't got time to go into it in much depth, but Chicago have kind of, you know, signaled or uh, are waving the white flag a little bit like what we talked about with Detroit earlier. It's a pretty big mansion to start clearing out the house of uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks. But and while, you know, Mrs. Taves and Kane are, are probably safe for as long as they want to be, it seems everybody else has kind of now got the uh, the target of the, the GM there looking at them. And uh, Corey Crawford heading to New Jersey from them was... Um, was a big move for them in the off-season. Uh, we've already mentioned the likes of Holtby, Markstrom, Hudobin, um, Cam Talbot, uh, an interesting one going out to Minnesota, um, Henrik Lundqvist in Washington, of course, um, and a few other smaller moves. Brian Elliott re-signing in, um, uh, in Philadelphia, yeah. Tristan Jari becoming the, the Pittsburgh the number, number one. one. Yeah, and Robin Lenner, um, obviously with Vegas after his um, rather impressive playoffs that he had. Um, so it was, it was kind of, it, it did live up to it because 
there is going to be a lot of goaltenders who, when we look at next year in those first few games, going to go, well, isn't it weird seeing Holtby in a, in a Vancouver jersey? Or isn't it weird seeing Matt Murray in a Sens jersey? Uh, there's going to be um, a few of those next year, thanks to the free agency. Who do you think was the best one? Who do you think got the best goaltending deal? I mean... Of the, of the bigger names. I mean... On the face of it, probably Markstrom for Calgary, just for the because first few of years. how, yeah, for the first few yeah. years, for sure. I mean, that deal is going to be a real pain um, yeah. in years like four, five, even and six. Like, you've got to hope that he's still very good by that point. Um, what about Darcy Kemper? Do you think he stays in Arizona? Yeah, the Arizona's pretty much said like we're now not going to trade him. If anyone gets traded, it's going to be Antti Ranta, um, who won't get as much of a return, but he is a legitimate number one goalie in the NHL when he's healthy. And I've also floated the idea that he might be ideal for someone like the Buffalo Sabres Mm. because his deal expires next year. So it would be short term. Figure out if he can do it for you. If he gets you into the playoffs, then sign him to another couple of years. Um, He's only like 30, 31 now. Um, so still not that old. Um, but he's excellent. And I think it will be interesting to see what happens with him. But Darcy Kemp is going to stay in the desert. Um, I asked you guys on on Twitter earlier, um, kind of who you thought you your big kind of winners and losers were of, of free agency and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Abby got in contact with us on Twitter saying uh, she thought the winners were Toronto and Vegas. Uh, losers, Chicago, tough on her as a Chicago fan, um, saying that they're goalie-less and that's just problem one of a hundred. Um, tough times coming up, I think, for the Chicago Blackhawks um, with some kind of ageing, well, they say aging, but they're they're still, you know, Taves looked incredible in the um, in the play-ins and and in the first round, and it's going to be interesting to see how long they stick around if they decide to see out their careers there. Um, and also, Rachel said uh, very happy with both Toronto and Colorado. Toronto's defense is looking strong, and I'm liking the mix of younger and older players, hoping it will create a real fire in the boys to make a long playoff run. The Abs are super deep. This is Defo team that is gunning for the cup. One trade that I did absolutely love was the uh, the moves um, the Avs made for Devon Taves, um, signing him from the uh, New York Islanders for a couple of picks, <laughs> which baffling again. But anyway, um, it, it does seem Chicago had the same thing. Teams who are good, for some reason, just seem to get help from other NHL teams like when, with some of the trades and some of the moves they make and you just sit there and sometimes you look at it and you just go, what? How do they deserve, how, how do they deserve that little kind of, you know, almost like a freebie? Yeah, I agree. Like uh, Vegas is definitely one of those teams. I mean, yeah. a lot of people were saying that after the Schmidt deal. And I mean, Vegas yeah. is getting a great player in Schmidt, but it definitely helped Vegas to no end. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, fingers crossed, we will have some hockey to talk about um, in the not-too-distant future. Um, The NHL announced that they're working towards a beginning of January um, as their restart date. Now, obviously, who knows? Nobody knows anything beyond the next couple of days, really, these days. Um, But we obviously all hope that there will be some hockey to talk about um, in January. 
Um, anything else kind of on your uh, on your mind, James, going into this very very late off season that we have now? Seeing a lot of uh, a lot of NHL players start heading to Europe, which will be interesting. Um, so there is hockey obviously going on, particularly in like Sweden, Finland, places like that, Switzerland as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye out on any of your NHL teams' prospects um, heading over there. Um, and obviously Liam Kirk, British player, English born, yes. Arizona Coyotes prospect, is now in Sweden. Uh, he's going to be playing in the Hockey Etan um, with Hanhals. And that's the Swedish third tier. He is going to be training, according to Mark Rackham of um, Hockey From Across the Pond podcast, uh, apparently he's going to be training with Frölunda of the Swedish Hockey League. So it will be very interesting to see how he gets on over in Sweden before um, the North American leagues uh, officially return. And the question um, that I had actually, and I, I checked the comments on, on Mark's tweet and somebody had already asked, but that doesn't really change anything in terms of his NHL status. He's still um, owned and his rights are still with the, the Coyotes, um, but he's obviously just being loaned out much as, you know, um, Thornton playing in, in Switzerland. And as you say, we'll probably see uh, players at the beginning and towards the end of their careers making those moves to play some hockey um, to keep themselves fresh for that hopeful January return. Um, we're not 100% sure what we're going to do over the next few months and probably not much in the terms of hockey chatting because there isn't probably going to be that much to talk about um, but we really appreciate all your support and all your messages um, that you guys have sent us um, over the last few months we've had some really nice emails actually so if you do want to drop us an email it's great um, it's nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com it's really nice getting them um some of them have been fantastic along the lines of kind of oh you know i've just just got into hockey and then you know found it really addictive and found the podcast and and find it a nice accompaniment along to watching hockey and all this kind of stuff and there's some great podcasts out there i would say hockey across the pond's another one um kind of uh you know similar ilk in terms of you know fans over here who follow this sport and um i do i much as I would love ice hockey or NHL to be a more mainstream sport, there is something quite nice about that feeling you get when you walk down the street and you see someone else in an NHL cap or jersey or top of any team over here in the UK or anywhere else um, around Europe because uh, it is part of a very special little group of, um, of people who um, follow this crazy sport that we do. Uh, James, thanks very much for um, stepping in for Claire this week. And, Always a pleasure. Uh, sharing all your knowledge and uh, of the Coyotes, Leafs, and all of the other UFA stuff. I'll look forward to following your Chinese football or MK Dons uh, <laughs> tweets over the next few weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back at, at some point soon. Um, look after yourselves, and we will speak to you when we speak to you.